0: Good morning. Good morning. Some of you may know this about me. I never wanted to be your pastor. Sorry. In fact, I never wanted to be a pastor at all. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I after graduating high school, I lived in Germany for a year with a host family and my host mom was a midwife. And at 18, I got to see some things and I was like, "Whoa, I don't know that I like blood that much. This is scary." And I realized I don't want to be a doctor. And so as I wrestled through what I wanted to do with my life, I decided the next best thing I should do, if I'm not saving lives, I can change lives by being a politician. (laughs) Right? Uh, So I went to school for international studies. And while I was in college, which I never wanted to do, by the way, I was adamant, I don't need school. School's ridiculous. Stay in school. It's a good thing for you, okay? But while I was in school studying international studies, I decided to apply for a job at a church working as an intern with the youth, mostly because it was a large church with a large budget, and so I knew there'd be a lot of leftover free pizza I could take home to my dorm room. And I was like, I can hang out with kids. That doesn't sound too tough. But then while working at this church, I discovered something that I did not want to know. Do you know that the church is a really ugly and sometimes terrible organization? Like, I mean, when you pull back the veil and you see what happens behind the scenes, sometimes you can really find yourself affronted with, I don't like what I see here. Why are they doing what they do and spending money the way they spend? And how come people who are supposed to love Jesus can sometimes be the worst kind of people? And I don't know if you know this, that's not just what you see sometimes on staff, that's sometimes what you see in a staff role serving the church. This last week I got to participate in a a Zoom forum, a discussion about pastoral burnout and how we avoid pastoral burnout. And one of the, the speakers brought something up that I thought was really good. He said, in this day and age, there's a lot of conversation about the way in which the church has burned the people. Maybe you've been there before. The church has been a source of pain. The place that's supposed to be safe and a place for healing and forgiveness and grace has been judgment and accusation or accusations and has been all kinds of terrible. But what this guy said that I found really fascinating, he said, how come it's always okay to talk about the church burning us, but never okay to talk about the church burning its pastors? I thought that's really interesting. Interesting. You see, I had witnessed and I had experienced all of the ugly of what happens behind the scenes in the church, and I wanted nothing to do with it. So I was all the more adamant, I will never, ever go to seminary, God. And then if maybe it happens in your life the same way, if you tell God never, He says, watch me. And so my senior pastor asked me, Adam, will you go to seminary? And I said, what every good southerner will say, I'll pray about it. Which really meant not a chance in hell, but I can't tell you that directly. That would be ungodly. And then I found myself in a season of sin and hurt where my personal life was a total mess, and I didn't know what to do about it. And I went back to my pastor, and it was a large enough church. I had my pastor, who was my boss, and his pastor and like four other pastors on staff alongside them. And I went back to my pastor and my boss and I shared all of my sin and my broken, ugly mess. And I wept because I had no idea how to get out of it. And the church did something I wasn't expecting. With all the ugly and all the terrible and all the stuff I had seen that I said, I want none of that, these five pastors were incredibly gracious. They wept with me in my pain. They grieved for where I was at, not out of shame. How dare you be there? What's this going to do for us? But we don't want you to stay in this place any longer. And they offered me a path forward, a long and tedious journey of learning to unlearn all the bad habits and beliefs I had been living in and to begin to walk in a newness of life that comes from Christ. And it wasn't easy, and at times it was incredibly painful. But that journey of grace was so healing. And I saw that for all the ugly that sometimes happens in the church, for all the ugly that sometimes happens on staff and in an organization, and all the ugly that sometimes happens because a church is just made up of a bunch of sinners, like myself, I saw that somewhere in all of that, there's an opportunity for an extraordinary grace and healing and love like I had never known before. So at the end of that journey, I went back to my senior pastor and I said, knowing all that you know about who I've been and where I've been and what I've struggled with, do you still want me to be a pastor? Believing in my heart for sure, he would say, nope, you have disqualified yourself. And he said, absolutely. Are you ready to apply? And so then I told God when I was in seminary, reluctantly, I said, Well, that's fine, God, but I really have a heart for California and the people out there, and I would love to go to California. So I told the seminary, I'll go anywhere in the country, preferably the West Coast north of San Francisco. That's like my ideal spot. And they said, How about Knoxville, Tennessee? (laughs) Okay, God, here goes. See, I didn't set out to be your pastor but I'm really glad I am. And I'll tell you more about that here in a moment. Today, as we dive into Scripture, we're going to look at this verse we saw in that video a little more and a few surrounding it, specifically about the harvest that is plentiful and our role in this harvest and what it looks like. If you would like to follow along, we will begin in Matthew chapter 9, which if you're using one of the Blue Bibles, it's page 1016, You can find those in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs. You're welcome to use your phone or your own Bible as well to follow along. Matthew chapter 9. Now, the same story also happens in Luke chapter 10, and there's some similarities in both. But Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to focus. If you remember, if you've read this chapter before, a little bit before this, Jesus does the most radical thing you can imagine. He walks up to the worst of the sinners, the tax collector, Matthew, the chief among all sinners, horrible, miserable man according to their culture. And he says, Matthew, follow me. And then all the religious leaders get really, really irate. How dare he eat with sinners and tax collectors? How dare he do such a thing? And then the end of this chapter says this. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus, he looks out on all the people following. He's teaching them. He's healing them. He's setting them free from demons. He's doing all this great stuff. He says he has compassion on them because they are helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what happens to sheep in the wild without a shepherd? Eventually, they get picked off one by one by all kinds of predators seeking to devour them. Jesus looks at these hurting people. He says, they are so vulnerable and in need of one who will care for them, who will protect them, who will provide for them, who will lead and who will guide them. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I love the way it talks about this in John chapter 4. The same similar or this very similar concept comes up in one of Jesus' stories. But before we read John, just listen to this. In the story, what happens, similar to Matthew, Jesus does something really unexpected. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners, and he invites Matthew to follow him and be one of his disciples. But in John's gospel, right before this account... Jesus goes and meets with a woman midday at a well. If you don't know the story of the woman at the well, she's there because she's an outcast from the community. She doesn't belong with everyone else, and she doesn't belong because she's had multiple husbands. And a little nuance to the story implies probably not by her own desire, but because husband after husband has abandoned and neglected her and left her for herself And now she's an outcast with no place to belong. And Jesus, he talks to her, which for a man to talk to a woman in that day and age was a lot. But it gets even worse for Jesus because she's not just this outcast from her society. She's a Samaritan woman, one whom all the Jews hated because they were deemed as like the half-bloods, the ones that were really not quite okay in the head. They were the ones who were wrong on every level and you avoided fully. And Jesus is there with her in her time of vulnerable need when she's all alone. And he speaks all kinds of grace and healing to her. He says, look, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water from a living well, and you'd never be thirsty again. I'll give you everything you need. And this woman is so touched and moved by the things Jesus says and does. She goes back to town to tell everybody, come and see This one who is the Messiah, the Christ we've been looking for. And in this context, as she's leaving, the disciples show up and they're dumbfounded. Jesus, what are you doing talking to this woman? See, they had left to go get food because they were hungry and they came back with their food. And Jesus is like, I don't need the food you bring because I have food to eat that's not like yours. And they're dumbfounded. This is what he says in John 4. He says, Do you not say, yet there are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And I love this same connection in the story of John. Because what we see afterwards is all the crowds from that village had come to Jesus. Because of this outcast, this woman, this one who wasn't a part of the community. They've all now come to see and hear for themselves what he has to say. And I like the way Jesus plays a little bit with words. You see, when you look out at the field in the right sunlight, it'll look almost white as it's shining bright back with the harvest that is plentiful. But as a whole town of people is coming to see them wearing their white clothes because it's a hot sun, perhaps when he said, look out and see, the field is white and ready for the harvest. He's not referring to the grain and the crops. He's referring to the people who are coming because of one woman's story. Jesus, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, before we continue, I just have to clarify a common misnomer. Sometimes it's believed that the job of harvesting is reserved for pastors. You do all the work. So it's my job to bring a friend to church. i like, convince him the coffee's good and the music's great and it'll be okay, it won't go too long and then I'll take him to lunch afterwards. If I just bring them to church, the pastor can do all the rest of the work. What I love about this story in Matthew and in Luke and in John, Jesus, he says, the harvest is plentiful, pray for laborers. And then he follows it up by sending his disciples to go and be the laborers. See, the task of reaping the harvest is not mine alone. It is for all of us as God's people to see those around us who are desperately in need of His grace and to reap a harvest by sharing with them His love and His kindness and His truth and His grace over and over and over again in the hopes that some may come to believe His goodness and His love. This responsibility happens To belong to all of us. But like sheep without a shepherd, they were helpless. See, it's all of our responsibility to go and be in the harvest field seeking those who need God's grace and healing. But you and I, on our own, doing that with our own strength, Like sheep without a shepherd, we'll be vulnerable to be picked off left and right by all kinds of predators seeking to devour. And so God doesn't just send us into the harvest. He gives us shepherds to care for us as we go out into the harvest. He gives us people who will help us remain on the right path and stay true to what is good and come back to His grace when we are fallen and broken like those five men in Omaha when I was in that lowest place of my own. God gives us shepherds that we can do this work faithfully for all of our days. So what does it look like for God to give us shepherds, people who will help us in this process? When I first moved here to the South, I often tried to avoid telling people that I was a pastor Do you know how quickly a conversation changes when you tell somebody you're a pastor? Really quick. It either changes in one of two ways. Either all of the curse words they were dropping and all of the real things they were saying suddenly stop and they're like, I have to be all prim and proper. It's a pastor here. Uh Or it changes really quick where they simply stop talking altogether. Every now and then when you tell somebody you're a pastor, They begin to share all their stories of their experiences with the pastor. I discovered just how different the South is from the Midwest about a year and a half into being here. At that point, I'd been here long enough that I pretty well knew by name and by face every person here at the church. I'd been here long enough to meet those who come once every three or four months and get to know them well enough to at least recognize them. About a year and a half in, I w- was talking to a stranger and they were sharing all about their life. And then they said, Well, what do you do for a living? I said, Oh, I'm actually a pastor. Really? Where are you a pastor at? I said, Oh, I'm a pastor at the point. And they're like, Oh, that's awesome. I love the point. Yeah, that's my church. That's your church. What do you mean it's your church? Like, you had no idea. I've been the pastor here for a year and a half. When were you last at the point? I obviously didn't say that. That often would just come across judgmental but it was kind of confusing right there's this idea like oh yeah that's my church and those are my people and that's my pastor without actually knowing who we are or what we do in fact another strange experience was very similar we got to talking and and uh, I was like oh I'm a pastor like that's really cool I love my church I go to church all the time I'm like really where do you go to church the point huh okay See, here in the South, there's this idea of having my pastor as kind of like the one I can claim in case I need it, like life insurance, right? Like just in case there's an emergency, I got this pastor I can call. In fact, there are plenty of people that I love and I know dearly in this community who want nothing to do with Jesus, but when they're dealing with a family death, they call me and say, hey, pastor, I need some help. They want me as a pastor More as a sake of comfort, but not as a source of truth or guidance or shepherding in any way. Other times when i talk to people and tell them I was a pastor, like, oh, you're a preacher, okay. And I often go, oh, this is the preacher. You know what? There's a reality that my job includes preaching generally every week, sometimes twice a week, and on a very rare week, maybe three or four times a week. You never know. It's a bonus, right? Preaching is part of what pastors do. But unfortunately, there's a little bit of a difference between a preacher and a pastor. The difference is, a preacher is here to tell you something, a pastor is here to show you something, and it doesn't happen mostly on Sunday morning. Most pastoring happens Tuesday afternoon when you're really struggling, or Wednesday morning at breakfast, or Thursday when you find yourself suddenly in the hospital, or Friday when you don't know who to call about a situation you're going through. Most pastoring happens when we're sitting at a bar just having a drink, talking nothing about the church. See, a pastor goes beyond just sharing with you on Sunday morning, but walks alongside you in every aspect of life. And I have to confess, sometimes I do this really well, and sometimes I don't. And you guys are gracious enough in the times when I don't to still love me through that and to encourage me to do it better still. But I share all of this because sometimes I think we think the pastor is somebody over there and I'm over here. But God does not give his church pastors simply so that we can preach and then remain hidden in an office throughout the week. He gives the church pastors so that we can share your burdens with you. There's a fellow, an older fellow, who uh, is uh, perhaps 17, 1,600 years ago. So, you know, definitely not around anymore. Maybe you've heard of him, a guy named Augustine. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Augustine? If you have not heard of him, you probably have not studied hardly any Western history. Like, Augustine had a pretty significant role in shaping the Christianity we believe today. Augustine actually had no desire to be a pastor. When I studied about him in in seminary, I was pretty impressed. I was like, I can relate to this guy. I get it. Augustine was so concerned about the reality of being a pastor that he would avoid towns that had Christians and no pastor. Because he was afraid, if he went to a town full of Christians and they had no pastor, they'd all turn and look at him and say, "We need you to be our pastor," and he'd have no choice but to serve in that way. And he wanted nothing to do with it. And so one day he went to church, and was there listening to the the pastor preach, and the pastor was preaching about the need for pastors. He said, "We need someone new to serve," and the whole congregation turned and looked at Augustine, and he was stuck. And Augustine went on to write some of the most profound theology that we have, some of the best explanations of what sin is and how it takes root in our life. Augustine radically shaped Christianity through the things he did. And as I was studying about him in seminary, one of the things I found really fascinating is that in his writings 1,600 years ago, he wrote about his sleepless nights, how he could not sleep For the weight of the sin of all of his congregation was upon his shoulders. And he he wrote about the weight that one day he would stand before God, and God would hold him accountable not just for his own sin, but for the sins of everybody he led. Was he leading them into God's grace? Or perpetuating further sin by just ignoring it? This kept him awake at night. Studying this in seminary, becoming a pastor, not yet knowing what it would actually look like to be a pastor, I found this both really comforting and really discouraging. That sounds terrible, but at least if that's me, I won't be alone. We're going to jump forward real quick to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Now Peter specifically, who wrote this letter, let me tell you a little bit about him. If you remember, Peter often opened his mouth and inserted his foot. Time and time again, Peter got it wrong. In fact, when Jesus was crucified three different times, Peter denied Jesus. And right before then, Jesus, or Peter says, I will never deny you. And, and not only that, he says, Jesus, I won't let you die. And Jesus rebuked Peter. Satan, get behind me. Wow. Tough life, Peter. But after Jesus rose from the dead, there's a story where Jesus goes to Peter and three different times he says, Do you love me? And each time Peter says, You know. And each time Jesus responds, Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. Feed my sheep. And Peter was given this great responsibility to bear the weight of the people of God to care for them as Christ did for him. And now in First Peter he's writing to the church, specifically to other leaders and pastors. He says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter, he writes, shepherd the flock, care for them. This is the thing he has to pass on. Take care of God's people. They will need it going forward. You know, in Matthew and in Luke, in both places, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. few. Pray, therefore, for laborers to go into the field. And do you know what happens in both cases right afterwards? In both cases, Jesus says, warning, when you go, it'll be like sending you out like sheep among wolves. They will seek to devour you. Brother will turn up against brother, and everybody will hate you, and you will be persecuted for my name's sake. Don't worry, it'll be okay. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) Comforting. Shepherd the flock. Exercising oversight. Oversight not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, God has given His church pastors, not so that we can be in charge and make all the decisions. In fact, I love it when you make decisions and don't even need me there. That's great. God has not given His church pastors so that we can be the ones who have all the answers and are the theologically astute guys who can read all the books and say all the things and hide in our offices. God has given His church pastors so that you can faithfully each day live with Him. That you can connect with Him as you're coming and as you're going, when you're at work and when you're at home, when life is falling apart, and when life is really good, God has given His church pastors to walk alongside you as Christ does with us. See the idea is that the pastor is not as important as the per- or the role of pastor. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there will come a day when I am not your pastor. Either God will lead me to go someplace else or there will come a day when I die. Like that's simple. That will happen. And one way or another, You will have to have a new pastor. I shared with you earlier this year about a friend of mine who was a seminary classmate who died right before Easter. And as he was preparing his congregation for his death, he shared something I really loved. You see, in his congregation, they wore the traditional robes every single week. Now, one of the reasons some pastors wear those robes every single week is so that when you look at the pastor, you don't see the man, you see the position. You don't see the one who stands up there in his run-down tennis shoes and his polo or or the one who's really fancily dressed or you don't see the person, you see the position. And my friend, he said to his congregation, he said, every week when I'm up here, you see these robes and you see that in these robes, I am a pastor and I'm here to serve as Christ serves. But you see what sticks out from underneath these robes are my shoes and whose shoes do these belong to? And his congregation would say, well, they're your shoes. And he said, then when I'm gone, don't ask somebody else to fill my shoes, but let them be a pastor to you instead. And I loved that from him. What a profound way to say, look, this role matters, but not because of me. Now, if I'm up here doing the wrong things, it matters because of me. But if I'm doing the things I should be doing, loving and caring and serving faithfully and truthfully, I hope one day to be replaced by somebody else who will keep doing it just as well. But not everyone can or should be a pastor. So we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which I believe is on page 1,234 if you want to follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a list of descriptions, things required for a pastor. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, a synonym for pastor or elder, those two things go or three things go hand in hand in Scripture. This is just one of a few different places where there are requirements given for who can and should become a pastor. The truth is, it would be a terrible world if every one of you aspired to become a pastor. Because we don't need that many pastors. We need people out in the streets doing what you do every day with your coworkers who drive you absolutely batty, and you somehow find a way to love them anyway. We need people who are out and about at the grocery store who are kind and gracious when somebody jumps right in front of you with four cartloads of things and you just have two items, who can love and wait patiently and have a conversation anyway. If all of us were pastors, we would miss out. But if none of us choose to become pastors, we miss out as well. You see, here in the South, we have, in my opinion, an overabundance of pastors, Everybody and their brother and their brother's uncle and their cousin believes that they're a pastor because they have something to say. But I don't know how many churches you've been to where the pastor does not look or act at all like Jesus and you begin to wonder what makes this man a pastor or a preacher. I think not everyone should be a pastor and it's a problem if everyone thinks they need to be. But it's equally a problem if nobody thinks they should be. See, we need in our church men who are able to honor God and serve the church and demonstrate what it looks like to follow after God day in and day out. Not always perfectly, but always with a spirit of repentance and forgiveness. And we in our Lutheran church are currently facing a crisis opposite of that of the South. We don't have enough pastors. You see, in our Lutheran church body, we belong at the point to more than just this one congregation, but to a church body called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And synod is a fancy word that just simply means we walk together. We're a collection of congregations who've agreed to share responsibilities with one another. Specifically, the responsibility of how we raise up and identify pastors the process by which we say these men are capable of living this kind of life and teaching these kind of things and doing this kind of work. We share responsibility in some of our mission work and our church planting and our endeavors to reach new people with the sake of this gospel or for the sake of this gospel. We partner together in many ways and we as Lutherans nationwide are facing a problem where fewer and fewer people say, I'm willing to be a pastor. More and more, like myself, are really reluctant, saying, I see what's ugly in the church. I don't want that. As a result, one of the things we're facing is my job is in high demand. It's great job security for me, not so much for the church. And here's what that looks like. Really practically, as a church body, a denomination, we have agreed on a process by which Men become pastors in churches. And in this process, the church calls the individual as a calling from God, come and be our pastor. And with the exception of the first call, the rest of them are all the decision of the pastor and his wife to say yes or no to Now, what does that look like? What that looks like is six years ago, Emily and a few others here at the point said, we want you to be our pastor. And they shared with the seminary, we want Adam to be our pastor. And they formally called me and said, we believe God is leading you to be our pastor. And so I came and here I am. My wife and I, I can excitingly tell you, just moved a week ago into the house we've been working on for what seems like our whole life. Uh, Really just like 15 months. And because it's just down the street, my commute to work today was awesome. It was great. I couldn't even listen to one full song. It was lovely. I loved it. Something really exciting happened this last month, beyond us moving, that I felt the need to share with you. Here's what it is. This last month, God did two really big things. First, he called me to another church. And before you panic, he encouraged me to stay in this call here. Here's what that looks like. In our process, because there's such a shortage of pastors, there will be more and more increasingly churches without someone to shepherd them, lost and helpless, like Jesus said, people in need of a pastor. And so there will be more and more pressure on those who are pastors. Come and serve this other body of people. And about a month ago, I received, in an unexpected fashion, some paperwork from a church in Ohio saying, we would like for you to come and be our pastor. And so at that time, I held two calls from God, one to serve here and one to serve there. And generally what happens is when that that time comes, I would share it with you and you would join me in praying for the course of two or three weeks about should I stay or should I go? How do we faithfully serve the people of God? but I didn't share it at the time because I thought many of you would be totally blinded. You don't know what that process looks like and you would think that I'm wanting to leave. I promise you, my wife and I have no desire to leave. We love you and love this church and love this city so deeply. And so I shared it with the leadership here and said, how do I proceed? And they said, we'll pray on behalf of the church for you. And here's the really cool thing that happened. While we were really sure this is where I'm supposed to stay, what happened along the the few weeks afterwards, without any of you knowing, I began to receive all sorts of notes of encouragement. Hey, thank you for the work you're doing. Kind, generous gifts. Hey, here's some meals because you're moving or here's some help serving to help you get ready for your house. Here's a gift to bless you. Nobody knew this is where we're at, and yet you, as the people of God, further confirmed you are the ones that I am called to continue to serve and the ones I'm supposed to remain pastoring for who knows how long. Now, I've joked with my leaders that I hope to pastor here long enough that when I die, you bury me right here next to the altar, okay? I don't know the legalities of that in this world. It happened in Europe years ago. They used to do that. I don't know now, but I hope so. That would be awesome. But I share all of this today Because you and I have a really important responsibility. We need to take Jesus seriously. The harvest is plentiful. There are people all across Knoxville who are desperate for the love and the grace of Jesus. And we need to share it with them. And there are people all across Ohio and Indiana and Nebraska and this whole country and this whole world desperate for the same. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what does that look like? First, if there's any lingering doubt in your mind, I am not leaving. I will be here. At the same time, I probably once a week receive a new phone call from a new church saying, can we interview you to become our pastor? There is a desperate need for pastors to serve the church. So you and I have a very important job to do to pray earnestly for laborers to go into the harvest field, to go out and to become trained and qualified and equipped and ready to serve humbly and graciously, that every church and every place and every people all across this nation would have somebody who can lead them to walk with Jesus all of their days. So I want to ask you in the coming days and weeks, to join me in prayer for two things. Will you just thank God that I'm still here? Because I'm certainly thanking Him. And will you also pray that there are more men who step up and say, I will do this task so that eventually these phone calls stop and I can stay here until I die? Will you join me in praying for that? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So pray earnestly for the laborers of the harvest. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us forsaken, that you gave us pastors like Peter, like Augustine, like Martin Luther, like so many throughout history, men who have served your church faithfully. God, we pray where the church has been wounded by pastors who have not looked like you, would you bring healing? Where pastors have been wounded by congregations that don't look like you, would you bring healing? God, would we be a congregation that is faithfully seeking out who among us can go and serve? can be those who answer the call to labor diligently like shepherds underneath you to work for the sake of your church. God, would we as a church, every step of the way, believe that you are the one who leads and guides, that you are the one who is faithful and you will build your church. Thank you for the work that you are doing. Whatever trials may come, May we be those laborers who go into the field to share your love and your grace and your truth with those in need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, every week as we continue our worship, we continue by collecting an offering. And I've talked in the past about how giving is financial, but it's also more than financial. And so I want to give you an opportunity to give in a very personal and different sort of way this week. Um, perhaps some of you know Nathan Thompson and his girlfriend Arabella. Uh, both of them, unbeknownst to many of you, uh, about three weeks ago went off to Marine boot camp. They joined the Marines. And, and if any of you have ever been in the military or a family in the military, you know that the whole purpose of boot camp is to completely break you down. And it is hard. And so one way that you can give this week is some of your time to write some words of encouragement. Maybe you don't know either of these two. Maybe you remember when Nathan was like this big and coming here. However it is, you can write some words to either one of them to say, hey, hang in there. We're praying for you. Keep going. So what we have available, we've got, I think, uh, 10 envelopes, five for each of them. That Matthias, if you don't know Matthias, he's probably the second tallest person in the room. He's currently back there drinking coffee. He's going to catch his dad shortly. Um, He'll be over here in this Next Steps corner after the service. And Matthias has five envelopes for Arabella and five for Nathan that are pre-stamped, pre-addressed. You simply have to write a letter. And if you would like to just take a picture of their addresses and use your own envelopes, Uh, here's the one thing that is asked, though. Can you write it in handwriting? I know that's hard. Don't type it. On paper or stationery, they're not allowed to receive cards or gifts or other things like that. So if you would take a moment this week to write a handwritten note of encouragement, be it a long book or a short encouragement, that's one way that you can give this week to bless these two. So I'll leave it up there because I see a few of you are taking a picture of those addresses. Now maybe you came prepared to give today financially, and you believe that trusting in God with your finances is a really healthy thing to do. And so if you came prepared to give today and you prefer to give with cash or check— You can do so by placing that gift in the black boxes along with your connect card as you exit today. You can also give online. So if you prefer to give electronically, you can give at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. My six-year-old, probably four times a day, every day for the last, I don't know, five or six days has said, Dad, when is the women's retreat? She can't wait to join all the women and all the ladies for that day. So if you have a young woman in your life who, maybe you are the young woman, I don't know, you're welcome to join as well. All right, we'd really love to have you there. She can't wait, and I'm sure it's going to be super special. So every week, I do my best to respond to questions. Tyler, what questions came in today? Well, we got two things. Uh, The first one is just a comment that says that they're glad that you are the church's pastor. Thanks. It's a good thing. I'm glad to be here. And then the next question, uh, can women become pastors? If not, why? It's a great question. And the short answer is yes, but not in our church body. Some church bodies ordain women. Uh, We don't, and we don't because Scripture says that it's for a man. And the answer to why that is is really complicated and I won't get into it all today. Um, But what I will say is it is not as some teach because women are inferior. They are most certainly not and most certainly gifted and capable in teaching and we need to utilize their gifts in good ways. But the role of a pastor like a shepherd is also to be like Christ, the head of the house who lays down his life. And so um, we say... Bible, the Bible says, even though at times it's kind of awkward, that it's for a man, a husband of one wife, so we're going to honor that too. Um, does that mean that denominations that ordain women are inherently bad and wrong? I, I don't think so. Um, we just don't do that in our church body. Does that help? Yep. Cool. Anything else? Nope. <laughs> awesome. I thought I Super see. simple. You guys are great. Well, in case you did not catch it, uh, I'm getting you out of here in time to move your car so it doesn't get towed. You'll be fine. I promised you I'd do that. All right. Uh, the streets will be emptied here in the next hour. And then at uh, two o'clock, we're going to be hanging out, having a good party. So come on back, go get some lunch, and come join us with this party. All right. Before you go, receive this blessing May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace amen have a good week thank you for listening to one of our sunday morning messages if this message has made an impact in your life please let us know simply fill out the contact us page on thepointknox.com and if you'd like to be a part of supporting the point ministry simply go to thepointnoxcom forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.